Amen. You may be seated this morning. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Renovation Church. My name is Jeremy Kelly. I'm one of the elders here, and we are wrapping up chapter 12 of Matthew. Doing pretty good, huh? I don't know how long this has taken us, but we, we got a ways to go, folks. <laughs> but excited to wrap up chapter 12, and we're about to head into uh, chapter 13, where Jesus begins, begins to speak often in parable. And uh, so... Let's do this this morning. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, and then let's pray. God would speak to us through his word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and sister. I'm sorry, is my brother and sister and mother. It's the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word that we get to hear from you, that the hearing of the word through your spirit has the ability to change us, that we would do your word. God, we look to you this morning to change us, change me, draw me closer to you this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word, as we read your word that somehow we would know you better and that the hearing of who you are would change us, would cause in us a doing. Thank you that we can be members of your very own family. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You know, comparison is is effective. Comparison is a powerful tool. Uh, Teachers use it often. You see it in books. We do it in our own lives. And, And what it helps us do when we compare things is to attribute value. Somehow in lining things up next to each other, we begin to see something that might be valuable to us as not as valuable as the other thing. And so we use comparison. Last week I was in Las Vegas for work, and we went to this restaurant. Yep, Tom, check the box, talking about food. We went to this restaurant called Momofuku. I'm not swearing at you, it's the name of the restaurant. (laughs) And it was in the the Cosmopolitan Hotel. We go in, and I, you know, I, I like food, I had expectations. We went to this place, we sat down. And it's one of those Asian restaurants with the Lazy Susan kind of thing where you do the family style, right? You spin it around and everybody can kind of take a piece of what other people are having. And so the, uh, our waiter come, came over and I was sitting with some folks from work and he was like, do you guys want to pick something from the menu or do you want me to take care of you? And we were like, 
I think we want you to take care of us. Like, yeah, that sounds great. He's like, all right, I'm going to pick everything. He's like, what's your budget? I looked at our CEO. He was like, whatever. (laughs) And he gave us a tour of Asian cuisine that I had never had before. Like, it was unbelievable. They just started bringing out food, you know? And we're spinning it around the Lazy Susan and just grabbing uh, pieces of it. And I, I began to think of some comparison, right? Like, I like Chinese food. Anybody else with me? Like, I love it. I, I like takeout. I like fried rice. I like little glazed, sweet, deep-fried chicken balls of some sort, right? Um, <laughs> And that is of great value to me, right? I love it. But I had never had food of this caliber like that before. Like deep fried duck bones. Anybody ever had that? It sounds crazy. Unreal. Of course you have. Yeah. It was like duck. It was like deep fried blackened duck bacon, right? Like just heaven. And I realized there is a whole nother level to this Chinese food thing that I hadn't realized before, right? Like I I was able to line up this experience at this restaurant next to my thousands of experiences with the Chinese takeout place. And as much as I value Chinese food, it changed, right? I'm ruined for Chinese food. This was an amazing experience. Comparison's a powerful thing. And here's kind of a harsh one. So Jesus is speaking, and we recognize in Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 12 that adversity is beginning to grow, conflict is beginning to grow. Uh, He's talked to the Pharisees about unpardonable sin of blasphemy. Things are are beginning to become more harsh. We see Jesus now moving towards parable where he's beginning to distinguish words to his family that they would understand and words uh, to others who are just uh, hearers and those who are just uh, followers, quote-unquote, kind of uh, light followers of Jesus. And he's beginning to change the way he speaks. And we're beginning to see the the adversarial nature of those who want to murder him uh, and those who want to kill him begin to grow. And we're seeing the conflict grow. And Jesus is speaking and he's been walking through this lesson that he's given. And as we see in other uh, gospels, the crowd is concerning Jesus' mother and brothers. As the crowd begins to uh, move in on him, as he is ministering, for, for long periods of time. How could you blame Mary? As his earthly mother. She's concerned. She's worried about him. We see here a, a, almost a rebuke of her. But, but really you can understand. Even though we see she did behave improperly. That she would come and try to interrupt his sermon. That she would come and try to pull him out. That she would come and try to get him to stop what he was doing and what his mission was. We see this rebuke of her, but we also see that, that she's coming, and, and you see it in Mark, and you see it in Luke, and you see it here in Matthew. She's coming out of, 
out of concern for him that would seem to be okay, that would seem to be motherly in the fleshly sense, someone who loves her son and is concerned about the length of his ministry, the, the toll it's taking on him, and the crowds that are, that are pressing in on him and gathering in on him. And so she, she sends someone to speak to him to say, hey, we're outside, we need to speak to him, and they're trying to get him out of there. And Jesus takes this as a teaching opportunity and compares. Who's my mother? Woo! Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Jesus is speaking to people and someone comes to him and, and you see that in other gospels that numbers of people came to him and you see here in Matthew that one person came to him that's not inconsistent. It would have been normal for her to have said something to someone who passed it on to someone who passed it on to someone and finally someone gets to Jesus and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they're outside. They need to talk to you. And Jesus takes the opportunity, looks up to the person. He says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? And he reaches his hand out towards his disciple and he says, these. Those who do the will of my father. That's my brother, my sister, and my mother. We see in chapter Luke, those who hear the word and do it, those who hear the word and obey it, do the will of my father. That's who my mother, brother, and sisters are. That's who my family is. And you think, oof. Is this a harsh word of rebuke? I feel that it's more... What we see here is a teaching opportunity. Jesus compares flesh and blood family to spiritual family. He's looking at flesh and blood family and he's, who's coming to get him and he, he takes the opportunity to teach. Listen, let me do a comparison here. There's flesh and blood family and we know from the scriptures that Jesus fulfills all obligations necessary in regards to flesh and blood family. We see in John that he makes account for his mother that John would take care of her as he goes to the cross. We see that Jesus, uh, completely sinless, appropriately cares for his fleshly family and loves his mother and cares for her and fulfills all his obligations. But what he's illustrating here in this comparison is that in comparison to fleshly family, my spiritual family, there's no comparison here. No comparison. Yes, fleshly family is a good thing, but who's my family? What a question we need to consider this morning. He makes this comparison. We see also a similar passage in Luke where he says, those who hear the word and do it, those who, in Matthew, obey the commands of my Father. And we see this passage in Luke chapter 11, similar passage where Jesus make, takes this opportunity to teach. We see the woman cry out to him in Luke chapter 11, 27. And she says, blessed is Mary whose womb carried you. Blessed is Mary who's, who nursed you at her breast. And Jesus looks to her and says the same thing. He treats, he says, he says more blessed is, is his spiritual family. He, he, he goes, let me go to Luke chapter 27 so I don't misquote it. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11 verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who what? 
Hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed, blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed is the, is the breast that nursed you as a child. What a, what a nice thing to say. And the woman, the woman brings to him a comment that adds value to Mary in, in, in the womb that bore him. She's so excited that Jesus is here, that the Messiah has been born, that, that she, she, she attributes value in her comment to the reality that he is incarnate. And we value that, that he was born by the womb of Mary and that he was nursed at her breast. Blessed is, is that because of, of your value. And, and Jesus takes that value with almost indifference by way of comparison. And he says to her, no, 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 no. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Who is my mother, my brother, my sister? Those who do the will of my father. Those who hear the word of God and do it. That's who my family is. So we see Jesus using this teaching opportunity. He treats with indifference the point of which the woman places high value. And he takes the opportunity to point out that of much higher value in comparison. And we need to hear that comparison today. And let it challenge us. Let it speak to us. We commonly neglect. You know, and that's why we come here to worship every week together and sing the words we sang this morning and hear the word of God and pray the word of God. Why? Because man commonly neglects these gifts from God that deserve the most, the most, the highest astonishment and the highest praise. I think sometimes of the uh, early um, sections of Calvin's Institutes, there's, there's a section in the beginning of the Institutes where Calvin writes about the knowledge of God, and he gives this comparison that has been so impacting to me because it's so consistent with my life. And he uses colors to, to compare what we see and what the reality is. And he talks about how we are so satisfied in life and astonished and satisfied and amazed by that which is dim, that which is yellow, and we value it and we think that it's bright, we think that it's white, but it's really tainted and it's dark and it's yellow. But the knowledge of God, who God is, what he's done for us, in reality is a brightness that's so incomparable and so bright and so clear that we really can't even compare it to the yellow and the dim thing that we are so satisfied with and we think is so wonderful. And here Jesus is making this comparison, utilizing fleshly family and spiritual family, utilizing the reality of his mother's womb that, that bore him and that nursed him and saying, no, 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 this is, this is, yeah, there's value, but this is of higher value. Let's be astonished by this. Let's be amazed by this. See, the woman in her declaration to Jesus is, is leaving out that of which has the highest consequence. And that's that in Christ is grace. In Christ is salvation. In Christ is, is a, an awakening, is spiritual eternal happiness that comes in our knowledge of Christ and in our relationship with Christ. Yeah, it's great that he was born. It's great that Mary bore him. But what's of more consequence is our ability to know him, to be in him, and to experience salvation and grace. Amen? That's what Jesus is getting at. Is that not good news this morning? Jesus is, is rebuking, yeah, a little, but he's comparing. Because the woman has left out that of which is greatest, that of which has highest consequence. 
Not the womb, not the breast, but salvation exhibited for all. That's what we have in Christ. That's good news. Calvin says it this way, we, we don't esteem him rightly. And, and folks, this morning, let's do that. As we get into the word, let's think about this. Think about this in your own life and in the things you value. We don't esteem him rightly till we consider for what purpose he was given to us by the Father and perceive the benefits which he brought to us so that we who are wretched in ourselves become happy in him. Think about that. We don't esteem him rightly. We look at things of lower value as being so valuable. Till we consider for what purpose that God gave him to us. And we begin to, to contemplate and perceive that which he brought to us so that we who are wretched and sinful now because of Jesus become happy in him. The benefits of salvation in Christ far outweigh flesh and blood. The benefits of salvation in Christ far outweigh flesh and blood, and we are apt to not consider it rightly. We are apt to think of other things more valuable than that of Christ, than that of the salvation that is in him, that is the gift from God that he's calling us to contemplate this morning. Jesus looks out at a crowd with his mother and his brothers outside, and he says, who's my mother and brother? <gasps> Our value system needs to be challenged this morning. My value system needs to be challenged this morning. I love my parents. I love my brother. I love my wife. I love my children in a way that is really hard to describe. When I see my kids, when I see my wife, when I contemplate my, fa my, my family, there is value there that I would give my life for in seconds. It's immeasurable. It's something I can't even articulate into words. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning, listen closely, watch this. He's saying that in comparison to knowing him is of no value. Wow. In comparison, I'm not saying it's of no value, but in comparison to what we have in Christ, it's not. Do I behave in that way in relationship to my value system every day in the way that I consider Christ and what he's done for me? I love this because he gives insight into how this happens. How does this happen? How is it that we come to know Christ? How is it that we are in Christ? How is it that we come to be a part of his family? We see in Matthew, in verse 50, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We see in Luke 8, whoever hears the word and does it is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we see this, this uh, explanation of how it is we come into this place where we are adopted into a spiritual family that is of much more value than even our fleshly family. I love this idea of adoption. 
It's one of the most powerful concepts in Scripture, is it not? The idea that Jesus is explaining to us in this very short passage and in this lesson that, that we have the, the ability to be adopted as a part of his family. The idea that Jesus is explaining of, of highest value and of highest consequence is the reality that you get to be nearest to him, that you get to be so close to him that you are family, you are mother, you are brother, you are sister, you are kin, you are adopted into God's family as a part of his household. What a powerful, unbelievable reality we face this morning. In fact, what could be more valuable than that? The implications and the reality of the concept of adoption that we see in the gospel, that we see expressed here in this passage, the implications of that are never-ending, are they not? How many of us? I, I think of my years as a youth pastor. It was like 98 to 06, okay? That's when I was in youth ministry. And even then, my references were old, Right? Preaching the kids, they were like, what, Tommy boy? I don't know, what? I don't think we saw that movie. I'm like, what? Like today, I can't even imagine. Uh, I don't think I could be the youth minister guy. It would be just too old. But anyway, actually, so, some of the greatest youth pastors are, are older than me, but uh, they just keep up. I don't know why I got off on that. But anyways, I, I remember those years of youth ministry and this constant theme that hasn't changed in adult ministry and church. And, but you see it highlighted in the life of young people often as you see 15, 16, 17-year-old people. It's this grasp and this pursuit that I think is natural in the growth process of, of a young person to say, who am I, right? What is my identity? And you see, it's, it's so amazing to me how identity has played out in, in the course of teenage life, right? As you see it in any school you walk into, Right? Come on, you guys know what I'm talking You walk into any school, it's still the same. There's like the kids that identify with the sports kids. There's the kids that identify with kind of the cool kids. I don't even know anymore. I'm sorry. But like the cool kids, you got the kids that are trying to look weird and be different, but they all look the same, so it doesn't work out. Uh, you, and, and there's just this massive grasp for identity and, and association with something and being a part of something that gives you value because inside you're just looking for what am, what am I supposed to be a part of. And, and as you grow into adulthood, it doesn't change that much. People attach value to vocation and, and what I do for a living and, and, and where I work or, or friends. And, and, and I think we see in our suburban life as we, as we minister in the northern suburbs of Syracuse, value and identity attributed to, to uh, economics and to what level you're at and what house and what neighborhood and how you're long, and, and things we, we, we grasp and, and, and look for identity. And some folks who had wonderful fleshly families walk through life sometimes with a bit of security in that because there's been this safety net through their life of loving families and others and so many walk through life uh, feeling driven sometimes or maybe even fearful or insecure or anxious because that safety net hasn't been there and that loving fleshly family hasn't been there. And Jesus comes into all of that, whoever you are, and he says, guess what your identity is? It's the most valuable thing in the world. Stop looking. There's nowhere else to go. You're a part of my family. I'm adopting you, and I am the most important thing in the universe. 
I know who you are. I've chosen you. I know you so well. I know every hair on your head. And I love you. And guess what? You're my kid. You're adopted into my family. And you get all the benefits of what it means to be in my family. Amen? There's nowhere else to look. There is no other identity by which you should look to attach yourself. There is no other identity by which there's even close value. I belong to the Smith family. I belong to this community. No, I'm his. And he's mine. I'm adopted. I'm given his name. I'm a part of his family, his adopted family, and, 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 and that is who I am, and that is the family I'm a part of. I love, this is illustrated so often in the lives of so many people in our congregation um, who have adopted or been adopted or been a part of that, and, and the idea that you are now, a, you know, I just think of the dailies who are just leading worship. You are now a daily. You are now ours. You are now a part of us. You are now like Bernie Elliott. You are now an Elliot as he's adopted so many kids. You are ours. My, my in-laws who adopted children. You are now a Steve's. And so many of you have experienced this on one side or the other and been a part of it. You're ours. You are a part of our family. All the benefits of our family are now yours. And you are in this playing field now. This is where you live and who you are. And Jesus looks to the crowd and, and reaches his hands towards his disciples. And he says, yes, I have a fleshly mother and brothers. Yep. But who's my family? And he reaches towards his disciples. These guys are. Those who do the will of my father. Those who hear the word and do it. They're my mother. They're my brother. They're my sister. Amen? Colossians 2.3 says that, that in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. He's of immense value, and we find it in him. Our identity is in him. All wisdom, all treasures, everything that entails the gospel for life and, and who we are and happiness is all wrapped up in who he is. One such treasure and adoption is, is, is remarkable, and we get that in Christ. That's good news. Amen? Why does he mention the word of God? Obeying my father. What does this mean? Those who, those who do the will of my father. Those who hear the word and obey it. He opens all the treasures that's communicated in him through the word of God. How do we even get to know who God is? Romans. Romans 10, 17, right? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We see that, that we get to know Jesus. We get to hear from him who he is. He communicates to us. He opens up the treasures of heaven in his word to us. John says it in the beginning. He's the word. He is the word. And, 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 and he speaks the word to us. And we, we hear his word. And somehow through the hearing of his word, as we see in Romans, the spirit of God moves in our hearts. And he opens us up to, to receiving the word. And the word not just being something that tickles our ears, but the word being something that, that transforms us and changes our lives. And, and, begins to, and begins to create in us 
an ability to act and behave differently because we are his, we are adopted, we receive the word, it changes us, and we do the word, and we begin to live differently, and that is the evidence that we are his. We are a part of his family, amen? Those who hear the word and those who do it. James 1.23 says, not merely just someone who passes by a mirror and looks at it and forgets who he is, There's a lot of people that hear the word and are intrigued by the interesting story, intrigued by the doctrine, intrigued by what the word says, but they're like in James 1, they look at the mirror, they see themselves and they walk away and they forget who he is. That's not who Jesus is talking about. Who's a part of his family? Who's a part of this spiritual family that is of so much more value than a fleshly family? person who does. How does that happen? James goes on to say it's the person who sees himself in the mirror and, 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 and it's the person that, that sees the truth and the beauty of the word of God. And it begins to change him and he begins to do it. It's not like a transitory person looking in the mirror who passes and looks at himself in the mirror and forgets what he looks like as opposed to the person that, who, who looks at the perfect law and, and the person who perseveres in James. He's being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. It's this idea of seeing it, its impact, its changing, and then action is all evidence that God, through his spirit, has adopted you as his child. Amen? Amen. Thank you. There we go. he dispenses by the word that they may be communicated to those who embrace the word by faith for God's free adoption of us which we obtain by faith It's the key to the kingdom of heaven. Faith comes through what? Hearing. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. If you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, those who do the will of my Father, and you just leave it at that and don't look into what he's saying, no man is a part of his family. But what we see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50 is, is that faith comes by hearing. And, and as we hear the word and we believe it and we allow it to change it, we have faith in Christ, which is the gospel. We respond in reliance and in faith to Christ. And that is the adoption moment. That is the moment in which we become a part of his family as we respond in faith. It's not just the hearing of the word, but it's the effectual reception of it. The effectual reception of the hearing of the word, where it strikes roots deep into the heart of a human being and it begins to yield fruit. That's where we see the doer and not just the hearer who forgets what he sees. The effectual reception of the word of God to you and it strikes deep at the root of your heart, 
and it produces fruit. It's that tree in Psalm 1. What a beautiful picture that the roots strike deep down into the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and those roots drive deep down into it, and that river begins to produce in a life a fruit. It's the effectual receiving of the word of God that enables the doing of the word of God, that, that, that makes the difference between that person who really didn't receive anything and just heard some cool stuff and moved on and forgot, or that person that God moved in his heart and you're now a part of his spiritual family that is so much more valuable than even your fleshly one. Hearing of the word. I am completely challenged at how remarkable the power of the Word of God is to speak into my life, to strike at the root of my heart, and to completely change me, not just my eternity, but the way that I walk, the way that I live, and the fruit that comes from me. I'm challenged by the reality of that truth and I'm challenged by how little I value it. What in the world is more important to me than that truth? That I get Christ, that I get to be a part of his family, that his word has transformed my heart, given me a taken my heart of stone, given me a heart of flesh, changed my eternity, changed who I identify with and what I get to be a part of and who I am. And, and, and I still, from time to time, scramble back to that which is so dim when God offers to me that which is so bright. And we see in this illustration Jesus challenging the value system of his hearers. Comparing spiritual family to fleshly family and challenging the value system. What do you really care about? What's really important? You know who really my mother and my brothers are? These words reprove Mary's eagerness. Out of concern for Jesus, she acted improperly, disrupting his teaching. But by disparaging the relationship of the flesh and blood, he teaches us that he admits all of his disciples and believers to the same honorable rank of those nearest to him. What he shows is that as valuable as Mary is, and obviously this calls into question a whole other can of worms that I won't get into in terms of the veneration of Mary and, 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 and Catholic teaching about Mary's perpetual virginity. We see here clear in Scripture that Mary and Joseph continued a relationship after Jesus' immaculate conception, and they had a family and they had kids, and you see it all through the Gospels, and you see it in Acts. But what, and I won't get into all of that, but, but what Jesus is saying here is, is you see the value of Mary even for her. 
She had the honor of bearing him. She had the honor of nursing him. She had the honor of being his mother. And that is held up in scripture as an honorable place, as a remarkable person. But the most valuable thing for Mary is to come through Christ in repentance and to be forgiven and to be a part of his spiritual family is way more valuable for even Mary than to be his earthly mother. And Jesus lets them know that right here, as clear as can be. Who's my mother? Jesus even illustrates to Mary that the value of the salvation that he offers through forgiveness of sins and adoption into his spiritual family is is far more exceedingly valuable than her as his earthly mother. All of his disciples received the same rank of being being the nearest of his relatives. There is no relationship more sacred than this spiritual relationship, even beyond fleshly mother, even beyond fleshly brother. We ought to think of him not according to the flesh, but, but through the power of the Spirit, which he's received men. So that those who are by nature polluted and accursed, the seed of Abraham, begin to be by grace the holy and heavenly sons of God. Amen? Those of us who are sinful, the seed of Abraham, we now through the Spirit of God, through the hearing and the doing of the word, through the impact Uh, the impacting nature of the gospel and his adoption, we now get to be his closest family, sons, children of God, not just seeds of Abraham. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.16, from now on, therefore, we are regarded no more according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him that way no longer. Verse 17 goes on to say, anyone in Christ, please hear this this morning. Anyone in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. Follower of Christ, disciple of Christ, if you're struggling this morning, I keep sinning, I keep struggling, I'm I'm dealing with sin, I don't feel accepted, I don't feel loved, I'm struggling with the reality. Stop it. All of your, who you think you are is old and passed away. Behold, All things have become new. You're his child, and he has adopted you. Not based on what you do or don't do or who you've been, but based on who he is. Amen? Amen. Rest in the adoption of your father who gives you all of the benefits of being a part of his family. Not based on your performance, but based on his. You can stand on that this morning. I'm going late. I'm done. I'm just going to close it because if I keep reading, I'll keep talking. Who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Those who do the will of my father. Who are those? See in Luke, those who hear the word, those who do it. How does that happen? You express your faith. Once you hear the word, you rely and have faith on Christ. And he will adopt you as a part of his family. 
There is no greater identity than that. There is nothing of greater value. Let's stop being satisfied with what is dim and yellow. And let's walk in what is bright and clear and light and beyond anything we can imagine. That's the reality that we get to be a part of the family of God. Because he has spoken his word to, to us. And it changes us. And as we respond in faith and rely on him and watch the fruit and the behavior of our life change, it's a sign. It doesn't earn us the salvation, but it is a sign that we are his. Let's value that. Let's pursue that. Let's relish that even more than we do our own earthly families because it's not even comparable. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are what you've done. The fact that you give us your word and your word changes us is remarkable. We open our hearts to your word. Continue to change us through it. Help us to respond in faith, in reliance on you, and allow the fruit of that change the way that we live in love and value. Help us to value that which is of greatest esteem and importance in comparison to those things that we seem to demonstrate we value the most that are not even close. Change our perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.